0: The Relentless Forward podcast is brought to you by GI Associates. GI Associates is one of the largest and best gastroenterology clinics in the Southeast United States. They have a large, really awesome, modern clinic right here in Flowood, Mississippi, where we are based. And if you are over 50, you are eligible to get a colon screening. It's important. It can prevent colon cancer. If you have a history of colon cancer in your family, you are also eligible to get a screening. And you can get some free stuff from Stinky Feet Athletics if you get your colon screening done with GI Associates. So if you want to schedule your appointment with GI Associates, email stinkyfeet at gi.md. Again, that's stinkyfeet at gi.md. Put in the subject line, colon screening, Stinky feet, anything like that. Schedule your appointment with them. Then come into our store, bring proof of your appointment, and we'll give you about $200 worth of free stuff um, for getting your appointment done, just as a thank you um, for for doing what you can do to help prevent colon cancer. It's very important. You can save lives, and the life you save may be your own. The program today is also brought to you by my very own RFP training program. RFP stands for Relentless Forward Progress. Uh, It's a run-centered lifestyle fitness program that offers a lot of benefits to walkers, runners, and of all abilities. Um, We have a really amazing group of people, and we do a lot of fun activities, a lot of fun group workouts, and um, a lot of people really enjoy the program, and we're accepting some new members. So if you are interested, you can visit www.stinkyfeettraining.com. It's super easy, just stinkyfeettraining.com. You'll see my face on a video right at the beginning talking about the program scroll down a little bit if you want to apply to join just click one of the places where it says to do so and uh, fill out the application it'll tell you all about the program there it's a really great program. My guest today is Mike McElroy of OPEX Fitness he's a friend of the program if you will he has um, helped to some of our coaching luncheons and he is a coach for OPEX Fitness Um, Very experienced coach, very experienced um, CrossFit athlete historically. A really good athlete, really good friend, and gives a lot of excellent insight into the mental approach to training, the mental approach to life, some of the physiological needs that you have when you're training for various things. And a lot of um, the concepts of training that Mike has brought from OPEX and from his experience in CrossFit Um, really dovetail pretty nicely with some of the stuff that we do for running and endurance training. And, uh, Mike, Mike, and I talk a lot about that today. So, uh, thanks for listening to the program. Thanks to Mike McElroy for coming on. Enjoy the show. And we are sitting today in, uh, in the man cave, which is my home gym slash garage. It's a converted garage. So you might hear some traffic go by or um, some birds Birds chirping. chirping. Yeah. Something like that. But it's friendly outdoors. Friendly outdoors, lots of kids. If kids start screaming, we'll have to restart the podcast. But um, so welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining yeah, the podcast again. I could make it back. Yeah, I'm glad you could make it back too. You've had a busy schedule recently, so what? Uh, tell everybody kind of what's been happening in your world recently. Some yeah, big so changes.
1: I'm, I mentioned last time that I do individual coaching with OPEX. Um, you can find out more information about that company on Opex, OPEXFit.com. Um, but yeah, since last podcast, I talked about also that I had a gym here in Flowood, Mississippi, and um, we sold that gym. And so I'm now full-time uh, only coaching individuals um, and not doing anything in the group setting. That's a, that was a big change. Big transition. So we, we had the gym for a little more than nine years, going on 10 years. So so uh,
0: why, why did you make that change? Well, we're ready to talk about it.
1: Yeah, we can jump right into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With uh, just my my growth as a coach over the years, um, when I started the CrossFit gym, CrossFit was really new. I had just gotten out of college, um, and so I, I started the group gym and just built that. And, and my vision for what I wanted to do really was to change the face of fitness in Mississippi. Um, that was kind of my big picture mission, whether whether that was through a gym or or whatever that really looked like. And just over the years, as I've have grown in my Um, development as a coach and working with athletes and working, being able to work with individual clients, um, I just found a lot more passion in the working with individuals versus the group setting. Um, And so when the opportunity came up with OPEX to coach individuals and uh, the um, vision of being able to do that for my full-time gig became a reality, I decided to pursue that full-on. And thankfully with the you know, guidance and mentorship of uh, the owner of OPEX James, I think you're going to have on uh, soon. He kind of challenges us just like you would anybody else. And then we challenge our clients to, to really pursue what you're best at Um, and not just pursue necessarily what you're passionate about or what you're, you know, what you want to do, but pursue what you're best at, but also pursue what you've seen success in previously. So, I had a fairly successful CrossFit gym, but part of that was because of me just riding the CrossFit wave and getting in before anybody knew what it was in Mississippi. And then I had it through the, the, the peak of it where everybody, you could just sit CrossFit on the side of the building and people would come in. Um, but my successes were not really in running a business, but my successes were in coaching. So when I saw that I could pursue that, and I wanted to go after what I was really better at. So
0: that's pretty interesting. Yeah. CrossFit. If you running is a little different. If you just put up a sign on a building that says running, <laughs> we run here. Yeah. We run here. Nobody, not a lot of people might, well, a few crazies would show up and not that many, but I, I understand you there's a big difference between group, between group coaching and individualized coaching. And obviously mine's a different world than yours. Mine's endurance, mostly endurance. You know, although we bring some strength stuff into it, but for the most part, it's endurance training. And I always, It's hard to, I was just talking to someone about this. Some of our runners about this yesterday. It's hard to put together group workouts for people with such a wide range of abilities. And I know when I would go to your gym, sometimes there are some workouts that were especially difficult for me if they were really strength heavy, right? But then if there was anything that involved any type of aerobic based stuff, it was almost too easy. Yeah. And it's, it's not because you didn't make a good workout. It's just because everyone's skills and yeah, abilities are so much on, different.
1: You can't really meet people where they are. You can adjust things and, and make it more suitable, but you can't really meet people where they are. And like I said, with individual coaching and the reason we call it really coaching and professional coaching is because we're reaching a lot farther than just the programs in itself. So you know, again, meeting people where they where they're at when that comes to nutrition and lifestyle stuff as well, because, again, in a group setting, it's just really hard, really difficult to do that and really connect on a deeper level. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the way what we're pursuing now.
0: That's a big change. and I I love doing I love my group training. It's probably a little easier with running than it probably is with some strength training, I would think, um, just by its very nature. But I think one of my favorite things to do is to work with the individual clients, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know if that's what I'm best at like you, but, uh, it's one of the things that I enjoy the most, but so that's interesting. Um, well, one of the things we've been talking about, well, good luck with that. And I know you're going to, uh, I think you'll do all right. I mean, if you want to give me some free coaching (laughs) on strength training, I'd be happy to do that. Just agree to it now on the podcast. I think I have a little bit already. Yeah. Well, that's probably true. We don't want to talk about that (laughs) too much. Uh, but one of the other things we talked about, kind of a topic for today, was um, something you had mentioned, a book that you read or had, had read recently. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I actually haven't read the book. Jocko Willick's book. Um, I think that's how you say his Jacko name. Jocko Willink.
0: Yeah, but you know, I mean, we know who the author is. You know yeah, more about his book
1: is his book is Extreme Ownership. And um, we were just talking about, I, I feel like we, and I don't know, we need to listen to our old podcast, but I feel like we may have touched on this topic a little bit in the previous podcast, but just... Um, again, with individual coaching, and part of what we're trying to do there is is get people to take ownership over their lives, all all aspects of their lives. Because if they do that, they're going to get more fulfillment out of whatever they're doing. So if they if they understand, you know, reality is perception, and so so they are in control. Their their decisions got them to where they are today. Um, so again, we kind of we kind of went over my what's been going on the last year or so in my life. And the the gym, and I think everybody around here, at least that was involved with the gym, knows that it, it took a pretty hard downturn over the last year. And that's part of the reason that I sold the gym is because I recognized that that because the gym was going the direction it was, it wasn't just because the market was going down or because this happened to me or, or that happened to me or, um, or whatever the reason somebody could blame. It was because that I chose differences in my uh priorities and where i was focusing my attention um and so for me to kind of be stubborn and, and think that that was not the reason just would just not be smart and so because i knew that i was basically doing a disservice to the group people i knew that it was time to hand it off to somebody else who could take control of it and and grow it back up and they were they were passionate about it but it, it could be easy for me to blame the circumstances but i knew that it was because of the decisions i made is why the gym wasn't doing as well as it was previously
0: yeah, so you're talking about, I don't know if we even, if you said this at the beginning, what you're talking about is what he titled, J- Jocko Willing, titled the book as Extreme Ownership. Right. So it's really about taking ownership of your stuff. And that really resonated with me because uh, I, I said this to you previously off the podcast, but uh, I've been chasing running goals, specifically a Boston qualifying time for a long time. And I've gotten so close and I've had times where I've been. How close have you gotten? Within eight minutes. Which is seems like a lot unless you're out there for three hours and 23 minutes when you needed to be out there for three hours and 15 minutes, Um, but uh, so and then other times I've been close where I've had the fitness and other factors came in, Mm -hmm. and I had a hilly course. I had all these excuses. I had kidney stones. I got a cancer diagnosis. You know a lot of things that are all kind of excuses, but they're heat. I'm terrible in the heat, and uh, but I still in the end need to take ownership of of my own performance and what I'm doing. And I think that's really important. And I, as part of that, I mentioned this on a previous podcast, I had started a, and I just want to talk to you about this. I had started a, a nutrition plan. I based it on something <coughs> called the carnivore diet, which is something that's come up lately. And that's really just animal products. It's meat, um, eggs, milk, cheese, I guess, anything that's pretty much, it's all, I mean, and it's it all pretty much meat. Anything that comes from animals. Uh, animal, I mean. So I tried, I based my, I wanted to really do a couple things with this. This is me taking ownership because I always wanted to have go into my races with better body composition, lower body fat, lower weight, but I never really took ownership of it. I just kind of let it happen the way it felt. And I think that's been holding me back a little bit and it's the next step I have to do. So I wanted to create a new, and I, you know, I was going to training cycles with a very specific plan as to how I'm going to tackle this training cycle and I do the same thing with my athletes but I had never done it with nutrition so I wanted to do this plan to try to test to see if I could do it with nutrition if I can manipulate my weight through stricter nutrition what it would feel like now if anyone's listening and is thinking I want to do the carnivore diet because Jeremy said so don't do it because I said so I'm not trying to prove the efficacy or for that matter the health benefits of this diet I have no idea It might be the most unhealthy thing that's ever happened. What got you
1: on it? Or what?
0: So, well, I had heard a lot about people who had done. Well, um, I'd listened to Sean Baker, who is a doctor. Some people say he's a quack, some say he's not, but he's a really good athlete, um, 50 some years old, eats only meat. Some
1: people aren't saying you're a quack, and I bet you're not challenging. Yeah, probably not.
0: If so, everybody likes
1: you you're probably not doing something right yeah,
0: that's conventional. I said in my one of my coaching luncheons conventional um, conventional how did I say that to basically if you do conventional things you get conventional results yes. but uh, so I thought well it really led me more to I had looked at like a ketogenic diet, you know or this kind of is almost like an Atkins diet or things that are just basically higher. In this case, I wanted high protein, high fat, but I just wanted to see if I could manage my carbs and bring the carbs down. So I thought, I've looked at keto diet stuff before, and it just doesn't mesh very well with the things I like to eat and go Mm -hmm. with on a daily basis. The carnivore diet, (laughs) however, if your option is just to eat a steak every day and a lot of eggs, that was something I probably could do successfully. I also didn't set myself up for failure. So I allowed myself to have some carbs. I run quite a bit, so I needed some carbs. Mm-hmm. So I was getting between at the most 250 a day, but usually about as low as 50 carbs a day uh, or t- 50 grams of carbs a day. But I wanted to see how that affected me, how it would affect my running, how it would affect my performance, my sleep, my body composition, just all the all the things I could measure, um, either subjectively or objectively. Um, How long have you been doing So I started on the 16th of April. I think is that well, right? As long so as you've run. 15. So I've run and or the hardest you've run. I've so in April I ran all my I ran about 65 miles that month, most of them in the second half of the month, and I ran them all under an eight minute pace, which for me is can be aerobic, but it's at the higher end of aerobic. It'd be more of a tempo. It's not anaerobic. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't be considered a truly aerobic workout and I felt fantastic. I've ran great. In fact, my Garmin watch estimates my VO two max and it tells you your, um, training performance, training status. And it basically says your fitness is up or down and the, and the load, your fitness load is either up or down. And the whole time my, the load has been down but my fitness has been going up Hmm. Now, I felt a little weaker in strength work. Mm -hmm. I just haven't had quite the energy for that. Maybe it's because I've been running harder. Yeah. Um, But I've done three or four eight-mile runs, a bunch of six-mile runs, some really fast, shorter 5K runs. Felt fantastic. My clothes fit a little differently. I had to move up a a belt notch so far. I've lost about 1% body fat. I don't have any idea if that's because Mm -hmm. of the carnivore diet or because it eliminates you're eating. All you're, eating the, you're just eating better and you're eating less yeah i'm not sneaking yeah, a cookie interesting. another interesting thing that happened is i took my son to the donut shop last week and i ate a donut just as Any i lost just lost weight huh
1: and you lost weight
0: no i felt terrible the rest no. of the day <laughs> all so i get that with a with a high protein just carnivore diet i've had this low level hunger all the time but it's not unbearable and there's no highs and lows of hunger you yeah. don't get that insulin dump you don't yep. get the high blood sugar you don't get all that stuff it's just mo- much more level but i ate one donut and the rest of the day all i could think about was eating pasta and bread and doughy i just that's all i wanted was more donuts yeah it just got in my head
1: have you seen uh the documentary um magic pill
0: no i've heard of that recently <laughs> i
1: just watched it last night actually a friend of mine uh showed it to me but um it it's talking about the ketogenic diet for medical reasons so like it has a girl in there that's recovered from cancer or that that didn't do chemo or anything for her cancer and she killed her cancer and then um, there's another girl in there who's autistic um there's one or two other scenarios on there um I just lost my train of thought of where I was going with
0: that but I don't know (laughs) but I haven't seen I've heard about that um now I'm not certain about the cancer thing that always makes me nervous there's a method. Have you ever heard of the Gerson method?
1: I feel like I have, but I don't know anything
0: about I it. I think it was a guy in the 1800s, maybe. Or, but he had a, a method for treating cancer without any chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you had to do in the Gerson method was um, multiple daily coffee enemas,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which sounds terrible. And I think maybe some scientific research has shown it's not. It's not really um doesn't have it's not a good way to treat cancer
1: well you gotta you gotta remember where most of the research is coming from which i know you've seen this in other. and if we set cancer aside other things uh like our just general nutrition guidelines and where other scientific stuff comes from and who's funding it and whatnot so there's a lot of biases in the research that is is hidden for certain reasons um i know that uh I don't know how much James can touch on it, but I know there's two coaches that work for OPEX who have, who have, I guess, quote unquote, prescribed coffee enemas for, for certain reasons, for gut health, not for cancer necessarily, but for gut health, for, I know, one in particular, Michael Band, who, when he travels overseas, he'll come back and do it because of what may be picked up overseas. Um, but the naturopath that we work with out there in, in Scottsdale um Doc Time, he's he's worked with a, a bunch of cancer patients and doesn't he doesn't do chemo at all. Um, and he says he doesn't have any success stories for cancer because none of his patients have cancer anymore.
0: And, oh, and, I thought and he didn't say because none him. of his patients no, lived. <laughs> no, and he didn't
1: didn't treat cancer. He treated the underlying issues of what causes cancer,
0: which I can see.
1: Um, that. But and like I said, that's I know that that's the extent of what I know about it. Yeah. So I can't speak any deeper into it.
0: I know when I had my first cancer diagnosis, I was my wife and I just dis- we found the Gerson method just because we were we had decided whatever we were going to yeah. have to do, like even as it. ridiculous as it sounded, we were going to try it. Um, so I did a lot of research with my sisters, a nurse practitioner, to try to find out, you know, what worked and what didn't. And with my cancers, it's a very well-known cancer it's mm-hmm. it's well known what treatments work at what stages mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of variables yeah um, mine was stage 2b was so it was I mean they basically knew how to treat it with surgery with some chemo and I even had some choices um, within that so I didn't have to go to anything that extreme yeah and you
1: all but you also did stuff on your own from what I remember as far as diet and stuff goes you didn't just just yeah. rely on the the treatments
0: I went, yeah, so what I was really worried about mainly was... telling me a story about some lady
1: pushing okay. Diet Coke or
0: something out in the waiting room? Well, oh, not Diet Coke, because it was worse than that. Yeah. I, the story goes, I was at the uh, cancer center. I was there for a checkup. The chemo I had to take was pills, so I got to take it on my own, but I had to go in for a checkup every month or so, or every couple of weeks. And I remember sitting in the cancer center. You're in the waiting room, and clearly, you know, you can tell... Generally, who's got cancer and who doesn't? There's a lady in there waiting to go into what I only can only presume is her chemo treatment. She probably had to get hooked up to an IV or her her port accessed, and she was drinking a about a twenty four ounce Dr Pepper, and she was eating a king size Milky Way. Now, keep in mind, it was about eight thirty on like a Tuesday morning. She appeared to be diabetic based on some of the stuff she was wearing on her legs and overweight and just really all together, cancer aside a very unhealthy appearance. When I went in and met with my oncologist after that, I was just appalled. I just could not believe that at no point did they, did somebody walk out and just slap that out of her hand and say, "You're whether it's true that this stuff causes cancer or not, which probably does, but even if it's not, it's certainly not gonna help you feel better and it's only making things worse and you're not even going to be able to bear the treatments that are going to save your life. Right. So I asked my, and this is a big problem, I think. I asked my oncologist, I said, I want to, do you have a new dietitian, registered dietitian on staff? Because um, I want to know what I need to eat, what I should not eat. And through some of my research, what I'd found is there are certain vitamins mm-hmm. that react negatively. If you have a lot of vitamins in this, you know, say vitamin K, I think was mine for my second cancer that, that interacted poorly when you have radiation, you could get worse radiation burns if you had a high amount of vitamin K in your diet. I don't mm-hmm. even know where vitamin K yeah. comes from, but, um, like I was worried down to what, you know, if I have a if I eat a lot of oranges and I get a lot of vitamin C, is that going to interact poorly right. with my chemotherapy? They didn't have a registered dietitian on staff. I met with a nutritionist, I guess, who seemed to have been trained at the same thing you, I could do like in an hour right. online right now. And at one point in the meeting, she said to me, she said, you know, more about this than I do, because she couldn't answer any of my questions. Yeah. And I asked my doctor about it. He's a great guy. If you ever listens to this, I'm sorry for throwing you under <laughs> the bus. Um, but uh, he basically said, you know, they have so much. These patients are dealing with so much that the doctor didn't feel he, it was right to burden them with having to worry about more. But that's another treatment. Yeah. I mean, good nutrition, wh- how strong it is, I don't know. But in most cases, it's another medicine that can help people feel better and it can save somebody's life. And then, so I, I improved the way I ate, um, after my cancer diagnosis, I still will have Diet Coke. I can't help it. It's just really tasty. It's my one thing. And if I die early because I had some Diet Coke, (laughs) I think it's worth it because it's so tasty. So, yeah, I I mean, I've,
1: I've seen one other, we had a client in our gym that had, had cancer and he, he went through treatment and everything, but he, he completely transformed his diet as well. So, you know at nothing else and i don't know why we're on a, a cancer topic necessarily but if, on nothing <laughs> if nothing else goes. put it on top of your treatment because like i said it's at at very minimum another treatment um if not the only treatment but at very minimum another treatment on top of what you're already doing and and he was the same way like his <laughs> his he he never lost his hair he never lost his energy he he came to the crossfit gym all the time like he he, he took like and you maybe can tell me this because y'all's treatments were different, but like the day after or the two days after was the worst after his, his uh, treatment. And so, like, he would usually take that day off. But other than that, he would come in and, and feel good through all of it. So,
0: his, his was probably different. If he went in for, you know, he had to go in. He had to go more, in. Yeah. Mine was, uh my chemo was basically like it was six months of kind of low dose. Slowed you up. Yeah. And I could do it. It was interesting because my doctor gave, basically they figured out how much of this stuff called Zalota, how much you needed to take over Mm. a certain amount of time. You could take it however you wanted. If you wanted to slam it all down in the first month, you Mm. could, but you were going to get really sick. It was going to be awful. What they usually try to do is give you one week of taking it one week off, but they, and at one point they were doing two weeks on one week off, but it was too much for most people were struggling with it. So mine was a little different because I ended up going to my doctor and I, well, I decided – this is kind of a long story, but I decided that I was going to do a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon, and a 50K while on chemo. Standard request. Standard, normal request when you're on chemo. <laughs> Let's just do a whole bunch of running. But I – what I, well, and that goes back to one thing. My, when my sister and I were researching, what we realized was that colon cancer survivors and breast cancer and <coughs> maybe some lung cancers, um, survival rate for people that have been diagnosed with that is – measurably higher for people that exercise mm-hmm. if there's a direct correlation the more you exercise after cancer and some of these cancers specifically the better chance you're going to be alive in five years mm-hmm. so i literally was running for my life yeah and i realized that that started to inspire people it could have an impact so i went into my doctor i picked out all my races for the next six months and i mapped out when i was going to take chemo when i was going to train um, so I, so I manipulated my chemo so I could have, you know, if I was going to do my 50 K or marathon, I would go two weeks without right. chemo before that. Yeah. If I could, in some mm-hmm. cases, it might be a week and a half, uh, but it was still really, it was really tough. And it was just, I always say, it's like giving yourself the flu every day. You'd take these pills and you're just going to be sick all day. But what was interesting was I felt best if I could just get my shoes on and start running, I felt best while I was running. It was the only time I felt normal. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was cold. I'd get really cold really easily, but I would get on a, I'd go to the gym, get on a treadmill and I would feel so sick that just moving initially was terrible. But as soon as I got going, everything changed and I was like, I feel better when I run. So it was kind of, I almost felt like I was cheating because I felt so much better when I ran that it was, it was not really fair. Like, I don't think everybody (laughs) has those problems, but my focus on fitness and nutrition is what helped me battle through that. Yeah. Well,
1: and, and like where we started this conversation of taking extreme ownership, like prime example, like you could have very easily said, "Well, I got cancer, so I need to take it easy, so my body can fight this off," or whatever the you know whatever you come up with in your head of your excuse to, to just lay low and let yourself basically wither away, um, yeah. is what ends up happening. But but you instead chose to take action and do something. Um, and I, I've heard you talk about it on uh, previous podcasts either. I don't think it was one, maybe it was a different person, but you talked about how you quit everything before oh, yeah. Like in, just in life in general, you quit, that was a big quit. everything. Did it, <laughs> did that change? Did, is this one that changed or was that, did you taking ownership of stuff start before this?
0: That's a good question. I think it was, I had started taking ownership. I really started taking ownership of stuff when I started running. Um, I was listening to James Fitzgerald, who uh, is your, the guy that owns the company. I was listening to uh, something he said the other day, and it I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he said that you know running or fitness – he didn't say running. He said fitness, and I extrapolated running from that. He does like running a lot. Okay, so, he likes you know. running. So maybe he did say running. But it basically – it's a way – it's a path for you to access the values and the things that are most important to you. And that's what running did for me, and it probably did that for you in your life too. Yeah. Fitness and running allowed me to access those values that I wasn't accessing before. So once I started running, that how much of a quitter I was started to shrink and mm-hmm. I started to actually go with the values that have been instilled with me by my parents and over life. And I've slowly built towards those. And my so then my quitting becomes a little less. Yeah. Um, in general. Yeah. I mean that's that's obviously one of our, our
1: biases is that fitness is the medium to access all those different things. And that's also how we connect to our clients. So we yeah. want to teach people. Part of our mission as OPEX is to teach people to live larger. That's one of the kind of sayings for OPEX. And and we do that through the medium of fitness. So we write programs for people, but it goes a lot deeper than that because we, like you said, connect people or connect, try to get them to connect to their deeper values and their deeper core values.
0: And I've learned so just from being in your office at your gym, I, on your board, you talk, I can see where you're mapping out some stuff for your clients and you're talking about sleep, how much sleep did they get, what other stressors they have in yeah. their life, other things. I kind of absorbed some of that when I did my last coaching lunch and I brought some of that stuff up to my clients where mm-hmm. I said, let's try to remove something that we did a workshop where I was you try to remove something negative for your life more and an, analyze in depth um, you know what you need to do to, to to bring that forward, so that that medium that can bring you up to those values can really be activated. And I think that's with the magic of coaching.
1: Right. I mean, that, that that's if you can one have that impact had on you, which has happened to me when I've had coaches. You know, change changed other things, and I've had hopefully or fortunately had that impact on other people because I've had people tell me. Um, but if you can make those kind of impacts or or feel those kind of impacts, you know that that's invaluable information because it changes everything It changes the landscape of your whole entire life as opposed to just i can write a better better fitness program than the next person um because there's plenty of people that can write good fitness programs yeah i think mine are the best but there's (laughs) other people that can write pretty good ones um so that's not really where the value is the value is getting deeper
0: i always say you know for running purposes i i could probably coach my athletes and just use a plan I found with the first Google search online and give them the plan yeah. and they would probably get similar or the same results. It makes no difference in the, I shouldn't say no difference. It doesn't make a lot of difference. If I have them doing 800 meter intervals or a mile intervals, or if I have them doing the mile intervals, 10% faster, yeah. 10%. Like, well, I mean, you, you got,
1: know, got the dot shirt on, so i think of it, but like their calculators, like you can find a very good detailed plan on their stuff right. based off your running based as so it personalized everything but they're not getting the coaching
0: yeah they're not getting the coaching and it's not and they might not understand how to manipulate it if things go wrong how mm-hmm. to jump into they don't they don't have that connection of somebody watching them they don't have they don't have anybody to to look at it and say you did it or even as simple as you did it or you didn't do it or yeah. what went wrong and what, how did it go bad how to it go well right and they don't have someone to celebrate with when the, like when my clients get a pr yeah i always tell the story of my friend my bob bobby rush is a guy that i coach I was at the little rock marathon last year while he was finishing and he came through so fast. I was so excited that he was going to get a PR that he had about a 10th of a mile to go to the finish line. I had my son in the stroller. I left my son in the stroller and ran out into the street to give Bobby a high five. And I kind of stumbled and he kind of tripped and we, I almost knocked him over cause it was just, now we laugh about it, but I was so excited to yeah. see him PR and he was so excited to see someone else excited about it, yeah. you know, and to be invested in his, yeah. what he's trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah. Well, even like i tell my clients in their notes to put, you know, to really think about it. if they had a good day or a bad day, really think about what caused it. You know, did you get in a fight with your spouse? Did you did you get an argument at work? Did you have a deadline that you missed, whatever, because the more that they can tell me that those things, the more I can figure out what makes them tick and what makes them stress. Cause like I said, perception is reality so? What my client may see as stress may not be the same thing that I see as stress. So I made like we had a house fire. We had we, our uh, financial advisor sent us a uh, anniversary card the other day, and it kind of recapped what had happened in our last year. And It was like, wow, we had a lot of stuff happen. We birthed our third child. We had a house fire. We sold a gym. Like sounds like an extremely stressful year if you lay that out. But because Reagan and I both are fulfilled with what we do it wasn't that stressful the year yeah there were stressful times when we were having to deal with the house and whatnot but um if you're fulfilled by what you do and you really know your values and and what makes you happy and what makes you stressed out then you can kind of live in your uh sweet spot a little bit better
0: i think uh i said this in the last podcast i can look back at my training cycles performance and events and generally they are worse when I've, when I have very stressful times in life, like legitimately stressful, Mm -hmm. oddly, I have better performances when I have Mm -hmm. cancer diagnosis, which I don't want to, I don't want that pattern (laughs) to continue. But it's almost like the same thing we talked about where that became the medium for me to access more higher values Mm -hmm. and things that were important to me. And it, it was stress, but it wasn't the kind of stress that hurt my performance it actually helped right you know where, yeah. whereas stress maybe financial stress or marital stress something like that can mm-hmm. have the opposite it can affect your performance because it's yep. a different kind of stress
1: yeah yeah that's interesting it doesn't motivate those other stressors don't may not motivate your why as much
0: right it's just it's just flat out stressful yeah it's just plain stressful <laughs> yeah. that's all there is to it I don't know. That's pretty interesting, but I like the concept of taking ownership of all this stuff because I and that was really why mm-hmm. I did this nutrition thing in the first place because I've never taken I've never taken ownership of nutrition. I've always been like, yeah. I, I don't just eat whatever I want. I'm not that kind of runner, but I wasn't always concerned about mm-hmm. it. If I just wanted to eat like, say, a Nutri-Grain bar, which I don't yeah. think is that bad, but it's not that great. Yeah. Well, now I don't I'm not eating those and it makes me feel a little better. Now, yeah. if I did eat one, I wouldn't feel this terrible guilt. Right. Cause I didn't set myself up for failure, but I'm trying to take ownership and
1: yeah, and we that. try to, we try to kind of sniff that out with our clients too. I'm, I'm sure you've had these as well that you can see patterns in their life where they, where they point to other things for excuses, where they blame other things. And um, you know, if you don't, James calls it dancing. If you don't uh, address that in the beginning, then you're just kind of flirting around it the whole time. You're never really gonna get anywhere. You're both gonna be unfulfilled at the end because when they don't reach their goal, they're gonna blame you, even though you gave them everything that you thought was successful. So a couple of things we try to do is one, get expectations out front. What are your expectations for me as a coach? Make sure I'm, make sure we're in alignment with that. But also if we see patterns of, of blame, we point that out in the beginning and be very straightforward. Like, if, you know what what makes me any different? you've, you've blamed these three coaches already that I've seen, or you blame this program or that program and you're not successful. What, what makes me any different? What makes you me think that you're not going to blame me in six months when you haven't reached X goal? Um, whether that's, you know, if that goal is a fantasy, we point that out. Like this is not a realistic goal so that when we don't reach it, you know, they're not pointing the finger at me, but addressing the, making them take ownership.
0: That's interesting. I've taken the approach. And again, running is endurance stuff. It's probably a little different too, because we have really extremely quantifiable goals. Right. Um, you know, either can, just to complete a race or to yep. do it in a certain time. But I've taken the approach, and this has been pretty effective with a lot of people. I, the, I've, I've basically told the runners, I own your finish times at races. You own all the training. Mm-hmm. So I'll get all you have to worry about on any given day is doing the training you are not really allowed to worry about potential results. So I get to worry about your potential results based on your training. Your job is just to go out, train every day. Just do what I, if I tell you to rest, you rest. If I tell you to run, you run. And uh, that just, just that little, even that little conversation just takes enough of that edge off of the athletes to where they're not so results focused Mm -hmm. because they know they've got someone else who's got to worry about results. Yeah. Because then we both kind of agree beforehand. The expectation is, if they don't get the result, it's my fault. Right. Now, in the end, what happens is when they reach the result, it's not like I get the medal. Right. So they still get all the benefits they have reaching the result, but they kind of takes away that edge of worrying about failure. Just well, enough, and to they get really more fulfillment
1: from it too. Because we, I mean, we've both done it. We both have goals that we've reached, and you get there, and you're like, okay, now what? Move on to the next thing. Because if you don't appreciate the journey on the way then there's no fulfillment. Yet.
0: I agree. And I think, so one of the next things I'm doing a, a big chat, we'll talk about this in a second, but I'm doing a big challenge for myself next week. And one of the things I wrote when I announced this challenge to my training group, I said, whether I succeed or I fail, I'm going to be better for having tried. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely believe that last year at this very time, this is a fun, what this is going to be as a fundraiser for one of my a cancer organizations we do some fundraising with. And I did this last year and you and I have laughed about this a lot because last year at this time I did a, it was a, I, my friend was doing a 40 mile run for his 40th birthday. I probably thing. messaged this, just mentioned this on the previous podcast and I failed. I only got 37 <laughs> out of the 40 miles. Yeah. And uh, it's been fun because people, I'm not too serious about it. it. My reach, my fundraising goal, I exceeded my fundraising goal because people were supporting that, but I get I am 100% filled with satisfaction for what I did that day. Yeah. Based on the reaction that people had, the support that I got, and I know I got as much as I really could out of myself <laughs> on that day. I was pretty pretty finished. But as point. you said in
1: your last podcast, we really haven't been close to our physiological limits.
0: That's the clo- that's about the closest <laughs> I've gotten when my legs <clears throat> I would seriously was would not function. Now I could have sat down for probably an hour Got rehydrated, maybe got an IV. I probably could have got back up and. Kept was that going. a twenty-four
1: hour deal? What was that?
0: No, it was just a day long, just attempt at doing forty miles. It was rough trails. It was. I had a lot of excuses, <laughs> but I've taken ownership of it. But uh, I, I feel so good about it. Technically, it was a failure, but there was a lot of things about it that were deemed a success, mm-hmm. yeah. which I which I like a lot. And I like to. I challenge my athletes to do that too. You know, don't don't be afraid to fail. Sometimes you're going to go for it. Just go for it. I had a, an athlete who I, her time, her running pace has just suddenly just increased drastically. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, one night she went for a 5k run and just crushed every expectation she could have had. She's been running for a long time. And uh, since then, she's just, she's gotten a marathon PR, a 10k PR, a 5k PR, and now a half marathon PR. But the half marathon um, pace that uh, my calculator predicted for her was quite a bit faster than she had ever mm-hmm. run before. And I said, well, you know, just let's go for it. What do you have to lose? Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You're going to be better for having tried. Yeah. You know, well, the failure is good for us all. I yeah. fail a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we don't have to go into
1: how many times we failed.
0: But next week, I'm probably going to fail next week. But you promised you're going to run with me on this. And what I'm doing for those listening is I, there's a fundraising organization in Columbus, Ohio called Pelotonia to cycling. It's a three day annual cycling event. And in nine years, they've raised $125 million for cancer research. And I, I've benefited from some of their cancer research. A friend of mine is the CEO of their organization. And he helped me get treatment. He helped me find a doctor to give me some consultation and treatment for my second cancer diagnosis. Um, and that was who I did the 40 mile attempt fundraising attempt for last year this year I'm going to try something different starting tomorrow and again I'm untrained for this but that's probably just par for the course now but I'm going to try to do a a run a hundred miles in seven days I'm going to try to do that by running at least a half marathon every day or each run so I want to do a continuous not a continuous run but I don't and instead of splitting it up in the morning and the evening I'm Seven miles, seven. I'm going to try to do 14 miles in one fell swoop. So I'm going to try to do that. And I'm asking people to pledge money per mile to see how many I can get. Now, there's a really good chance I could fail. Like if I pull a muscle, I mean, 100 miles in a I'm month. I'm not I, fast enough to pull a muscle. I could, you'd be, hey, I'm a runner. We have terrible <laughs> flexibility. We could pull a muscle walking down the street. I want to interrupt
1: that, uh, where you're going with that, but to get a little bit of training talk in this conversation. How would you train for a week of hundred mile running?
0: Good question. Because I don't, I think I would train the way I trained is get your mind ready to do it. And that's about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause you you're running. So you're not like, you're not like me going out and doing hundred miles next week. You're, you're training running right now. A you, lot.
0: Do you want to try doing the hundred miles? No, me? I do not.
1: I got to coach people.
0: <laughs> I would, <laughs> I don't I would not be
1: able to in the second half of the week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have the aerobic base. I mean, like you've put in a bunch it. of miles
1: over the years. So like that that part is done. Whether your volume is really high right now, that's another question. But yeah, I mean, how if you were to take somebody like me and build them for that, I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, my first thought is essentially just getting them up to the volume, you know, adequate volume. Obviously not 100 miles a week, because that would be your 100 mile week, but just getting time on their feet where they can comfortably go out and do like, you can comfortably go out and run a half marathon tomorrow.
0: I would probably, I'd have to, I've never thought about that. I bet I would probably not get them over 50 or 60 miles in one week beforehand. I don't think they need to. And then just get
1: them fresh enough to where they're, where they wake up and a half marathon
0: is easy. Yeah. And they have the mental approach where they're just, you know, it's going to happen. They're fully committed to what they're going to do which I think I am. I'll find well, out. Well,
1: you have, Thursday. again, we talk about purpose and why a lot, but you have a, a big reason behind it. You're not just running 100 miles to bring notice to yourself or
0: whatever. Right.
1: Um. I think that's something else that needs to be noticed. is that people, a lot of times I have people that they have these goals and they come to me with certain goals, but they're, they're, they're not really their own goals. They've come to them, whether like, for instance, when I was training for regionals the fourth time that I did, when I didn't make it, um, and that, that's probably not the best example because I was that still really was a high priority for me. But maybe the next year, the goal really wasn't that. It was just I didn't really know what else to do. People expected me to train to compete in regionals, and so I was like, well, I guess I'll keep training even though I'm not as good as I was, and I don't, I don't really have the same drives I did. And and taking part of taking ownership is owning the fact that it's okay to change your goals and say, hey, this isn't a priority for me anymore. I don't want to train like an athlete anymore. I want to train differently.
0: So how, how have you approached that? So you, I assume you don't compete in that way anymore. Yeah. No,
1: I don't, I and don't train that real, way at all. Young, So um, it's not like
0: you're ready to retire yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the average games crossfitter is for guys is 26, 28. So 28. So I'm past that, but no, it, it's more of, I mean, it took me a while. It took me a couple of years, but it was, I mean, the, once I started having a family, um, and getting some higher level athletes under me. And that became more of a, a passion. I still love to train in the same way as far as training to compete in the sport of fitness. But I don't train with the volume and I don't train near with the intensity either. And, I, and I'm much more laid back about my approach because nothing rides on it. So where I finished in the open, I didn't even look at my score in the open because it's just not a priority anymore. Um, but it, it's taken a while to get there. And it's just accepting that my priorities have shifted and it's okay for my priorities to shift.
0: Yeah. Being okay with it is a big thing. That's it. It's interesting because in, in endurance sports, it's endless what you can do. You can always run, try to run farther. You can always try to run faster more often, different locations. Yours is a little more, uh, it's much more condensed. You don't have a whole lot of different ways you can compete. I imagine.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, you can, you can compete locally and do some things like that, but that's a, that's an ego hit as well because it's like I went from going to making regionals and stuff, and now people are just like, "Oh, well, just compete in the local stuff." And to me, like in my egotistical head, it's like, I can't do that. I'm a regionals competitor. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have to be like I said, the biggest thing is being okay with with your priority shifting. I talk to people about this with body composition as well, like, and we did mention this on the last podcast, but. Describing what it takes to get down to 10% body fat, which is what every female and, and most males, too, if I'm being honest, say that they want to do. Seeing what that takes and saying, that you know what, that's really not a priority. I'm, and, and just understanding that it really comes from the reason you want those is because there's a piece of not feeling loved and not accepting yourself is where that's coming from. And so figuring where that comes from and stems out and that's where that deeper coaching lies is getting into that is, is what's really driving that you're not feeling loved at home or you're not feeling that, you know, what's coming from that. And that's getting into some like psychology and woo-woo type stuff, but it's, I mean, it's, it's
0: where interesting the because is. that, con- that comment that you made was the reason that I started doing my own nutrition challenge or mm-hmm. plan to see was to see if I could. And I knew my why my why is not because I really want to look better on the beach. Cause I'm all as, With my crazy tan lines and (laughs) scars everywhere, nobody wants to see me shirtless anyway. But I really, for performance, I mean, of course, everyone's going to, most people feel better if they're, if they are, you know, stricter on nutrition, but feeling good about it. If they feel, if people feel like they're in shape or they feel like they're, they look better, they get a little more confidence, whether that's right, good or bad in our society, it's true. So that's a nice side effect if mm-hmm. that comes but the, really the truth is for me i had been through this training and training and training so long i needed to add another component to it mm-hmm. so my why for that which if you had asked me that would be my why well i really want to see if i can do it yeah um but it's, it's pretty challenging
1: you know I, I i was just thinking in my head of you know there's, we always have those people that stuff comes really naturally to them but they don't they don't use it to compete at the level that we may wish we could. So I have a friend who was really talented and crossed it and finished top 50 or so in the open a couple of years in a row, never made it to the games. And that was his goal. And then one year after I coached him for a little while, um, he decided to not compete anymore. And he's still really, really talented. In fact, the next year he didn't sign up for the open and he still did the open workouts and won beat everybody in the world in this one workout. So he's still talented. But he just wasn't competing anymore and it was like it makes us jealous of that but really it's admirable that he can do that and somebody that comes to mind is is becca that's a friend of both of ours yeah because she's really talented in a bunch of different areas whether that's just running or even crossfit and she got pushed to compete in certain areas but for a a lot of her time she just runs and just does it for fun and doesn't even compete she's done one full marathon thinks she's about to do another but it's always on her agenda she doesn't let people push her into doing it, even though she's got the physical talent to do it. She stays true to what she believes she needs to be working towards.
0: And that's, I think that's super important for so many people, because like you said, you're motivated. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're going to get burnout. It's not going to work or you're going to get hurt or something. I mean, I run a lot more than most people run. And there's people that are a lot more talented than me. And I look at some of them and I'm like, man, yeah. but you know, if they tried to do what I do, their result probably wouldn't be as good. They have to follow their own path to a certain extent. I mean, there has to be some variables there. Sometimes you have to get a little outside their comfort zone. zone. I hate that term, but it's you know, you have to get outside. I have a, my wife and I talk about this. I have this theory of, I call them discomfort zones. Mm -hmm. So there's your comfort zone. Then I call them discomfort zone one and discomfort zone two. Discomfort zone one is when you're going to do something where like, let's say you're going to go, a national park and hike up through a mountain where you know if you fell and got hurt there'd probably be somebody there to help you there's an ambulance nearby there's a someone someone can help you you know like so when we did kilimanjaro that was to me discomfort zone one like i could have fallen i could have gotten hurt but there were people around yeah. i probably would have been okay there's a few times in life where i've done things i call discomfort zone two, where if something bad happens you're totally yeah. on your own and you're out of luck and it changes your whole mentality right and so I always think about that because a lot of us are willing to get it. Some people never get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. They don't want to experience yeah. any discomfort at all. Yeah. A lot of us have gotten into discomfort zone one a little bit, but very few of us ever get out into discomfort zone two. And I've always, I always want to get there, but I'm a little scared. Yeah. But I think that's, that's. Which
1: makes it a true discomfort zone. Right. Um, you have to be scared. Be to to scared. Do it. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, there's, there's definitely ways you can set that up yourself. But there's there's also probably a little unknown of how people get into those situations at certain times. I've never been in that situation where if something happened, then I'd be out of luck.
0: I think my wife and I classify them differently, too. She thinks when we went to Kilimanjaro that it was discomfort zone, too. To me, it was one. I was I felt in control and fine the whole time. But I've done a few other things where it was definitely in two. I mentioned this in last podcast, my dad, we went fishing in Canada and the remote, they just drop you off. They yeah. fly you in, drop you off, come back six days later. And if you trip and bash your head in a rock, you're just, you're dead. Yeah. There's no one to come get you. And another time I, would, I paddled the upper Missouri river, which is out in the middle of nowhere. And you had to paddle 47 miles and they just drop you off and pick you up 47 miles down river, like three days later. <laughs> And I always remember being out there. We had plenty of food and water for the most right. part, but if our if canoe happens. had capsized and everything floated away, maybe there would be someone else out there. I don't know. But to me, that's. But people have to, and some people operate better within their comfort zones, yeah. And they can get the most out of themselves by staying in that zone. But
1: yeah, I think uh, I think it's I think it's very important though, <clears throat> at least periodically, to get out of that comfort zone. Otherwise, I, I mean that's that's where the majority of the growth. Happens, and you like you said, your priorities come up, your values come up at those points. Whether it's just you start thinking about them or you start acting on them or whatever it is, they show up when stuff's uncomfortable and when you don't know what's what's going to happen.
0: I think for a lot of runners, the people who run a lot, going into say strength training or something like CrossFit is mm-hmm. way out outside their comfort yeah. zone. And I think it probably works vice versa too, because I know and I've been in your gym. Whenever a running workout would come up, yeah, I mean, In I mean, like three I mean, four hundreds, yeah, three four hundred. And I wouldn't even would call that right. a running workout, <laughs> and people would really panic. People would not show it's up almost on those a mile. Days. Yeah, <laughs> people yeah. would almost not show up yeah. because there was some running involved. Yeah, because that's outside their comfort zone, and they didn't want to. Yeah, my wife's my
1: wife's a good example of that, and she, I mean, with the half marathon she did, she she got over her. I was that was part of the reason she did it was to get it out of her comfort zone. But she could do a crossfit workout. It was truly a aerobic workout for her where she literally never stopped moving for 45, 60 minutes, depending on what was in there. And there could even be running in it. It could be 400 and Turkish get-ups and side planks and biking and whatever. She won't stop moving the entire time. But then you ask her to go run for 15 minutes straight. And she's like, I can't do that. I have to Stop and walk. So you just did this for 45 minutes. What makes you have to stop and walk on this one? Correct? Right. Um, and it's just your own your own comfort zone.
0: If you don't get right. out of it,
1: and you can't, you can't grow.
0: I don't know. So what are you gonna next to get out of your comfort zone? I
1: don't know. It's it's kind of pushing me towards running a full day with you this week.
0: Oh, full day. <laughs> We're gonna do 14, I don't know 15 yet. miles. Um,
1: it's going through my head. We'll see.
0: All right. Well, seventh every it morning. It won't be one of your longer days. No, <clears> they're easy. all gonna be long days. Yeah, but half marathon is different than fifteen miles. Each one of those runs is probably gonna be longer than the longest you've ever run. I've run half. No, but we need to do about 14 or 15. You need to. So 7.30 <laughs> every morning. We'll, not every day. Well, I mean, I'll be out there every day. Just be here at 7.30 tomorrow morning. We'll start off the week with... Might as, you should commit right now to running 14 miles tomorrow morning. <laughs> Let's not do that. Okay.
1: Next podcast, we'll talk about whether, what whether or not you doing. do it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, this has been good. We uh, we probably need to cut it off. We're running short on time again. Um, I don't know. So I'll update everybody with my, how my new by the time I come back on another podcast, we'll jump back on in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about, um, nutrition a little bit. I'll probably dive more into that. Some of the things that I've experienced and have Mike elaborate on, or have you, I guess you're sitting right here. I can talk directly to you, but have you elaborate on maybe some of the things I experienced and maybe the, the physiological reasons behind that or how it works. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? That's about all I have for this one. No, I think that was it. Good one. Good. Well, thanks for joining the uh, Relentless Forward podcast. It's always good to have you on. Are you still considered a guest or are you you a co-host now?
1: I would say right now I'm a repeatable guest.
0: Repeatable guest host, guest (laughs) co-host. All right. That's all I I got. All right. Till next time. Got to run.